everybody, this is Bez Barami and you're listening to CubeCast episode 8. We're talking about monetary and fiscal policy today. What are these terms? What are, what are these things? What do they mean? Why do I keep hearing about them? Uh, it, they're thrown around CNBC, Bloomberg, left and right, like any other word. Let's dive into them. Let's talk about them today. So this way, anytime you hear it again, you know exactly what is going on. And let's begin with monetary policy. Monetary policy, guys, is pretty much uh, how a central bank, not the government, the monetary policy is controlled by the central bank of the country. So if it's the United States we're talking about, we're talking about the Federal Reserve. And it's how they control the money supply and interest rates. There are three major tools that are used when it comes to monetary policy. Um, If you go to like the Fed's website, they talk about four. So we'll talk about four anyway. Um, And we'll kick off with one of the major ones, uh, which is open market operations. Now, what are these open market operations? Uh, They're pretty much the buying and selling of U.S. securities, usually bonds. Uh, But actually, if you go back in history a little bit after the financial crisis, it wasn't just bonds that the central bank was buying. They were also buying uh, mortgage securities and some other securities um, in order to get the economy back on its feet. And um, you'll see that when a when a central bank is buying bonds, right? They're going into the market. They're buying bonds. It's a form of expansionary monetary policy. There's also contractionary and there's expansionary. What we've been seeing since the financial crisis has been expansionary, because the goal is to get the money into the economy. And if you're not aware, buying the bonds, okay, increases the price and drops the yield, so interest rates fall. Now, what is the reasoning behind this? One, well, you're getting more money into the economy, okay? So you're and, and you're and you're dropping interest rates. So what's that doing? That's creating a little more. You know, I guess you can call it urgency for people to to spend their money. Then they're, they're less bonds become less attractive. Interest rates are low. People are, are going to want to start borrowing more because the money's quote unquote cheaper. It's expansionary. Contractionary is when the central bank wants to sell bonds. Now you're pulling money out of the economy because you're selling them, tightening up the money supply, and rates are rising. A lot of times you'll see contractionary monetary policy is put in place to um, try and hamper down maybe a, a wild inflation. Whereas an expansionary monetary policy is trying to get some more business activity to, to boost inflation. And that's what we saw after the financial crisis. That was what was so important. Um, in fact, let's actually talk about the financial crisis just a little bit, uh, dating back to 2008. Uh, there was something, I'm sure you all have heard of it many times, called quantitative easing. Now, what was this this QE, QE? Well, there were three stages of this quantitative easing, and it's pretty much of just a full-blown expansionary monetary policy, just full force put into place. Um, there was... Looking back on it, there was Q1, QE1, QE2, and QE3. QE1 happened mm, around like November of 2008, so pretty fresh off off the collapse of the markets and everything. The Fed from 2000, November of 2008 to June of 2010, they bought over $2.1 trillion of U.S. securities, U.S. mortgages, and some other uh, securities. $2.1 trillion. You know, to get to get money back into the system, get interest rates down, help, you know, help the economy big time. 
Okay, so they ended that. They started that in November of 20, 2008, and then they, they started that, and then they ended it in June 2010. Then QE2 came around. And this started in November of 2010, okay, so about five months after QE1 ended, and they bought another $600 billion, but this time only in U.S. Treasuries. They did not touch the mortgages this time. And they did that until June 2011. So for the next six months, okay, actually like seven, they bought $600 billion. So now we're around like from November of 2008 to June 2011, around $2.7 trillion the central bank put injected into the economy through the purchase of U.S. treasuries, U.S. Mor- US mortgages, and some other securities. And then QE3 came. QE3 was a little bit different. QE3 was more of a um, a monthly thing, a reoccurring thing. And it happened in, and started in September of 2012. So mm, about three to four months after QE2 ended. And what was QE3? QE3 was the central bank announcing that they're going to be buying back $40 billion worth of bonds every month. They see this was a monthly thing. It wasn't like a one-shot or over a course of two months, three months in the end. They said, for the foreseeable future, we're going to be buying $40 billion worth of U.S. bonds in the market. But uh, that's not what happened. The central bank, the Federal Reserve, actually wound up buying $85 billion a month worth of U.S. bonds. By 2014, by January of 2014, they said they were, they're going to reduce it. So just, I wish we had it. And we're actually, let me just take a little sidestep here. I'm looking forward to the YouTube page, the YouTube channel, because I can display graphics and stuff like that. So I'm repeating dates for the sole purpose of making sure you guys can can hear it a few times to play in your head because it's a lot of dates I'm throwing around, especially when it comes to ranges. So they bumped, in QE3, they bumped, it was supposed to be $40 billion. They bumped it to $85 billion of monthly purchases of U.S. bonds, okay? So in December of 2012, they were buying $85 billion worth. They did this up until January of 2014, okay? Two years, they did it for two years. And then they said, okay, we're going to start bringing this back. We're going to start tapering. I don't know if you guys remember back then, it was taper, taper, taper. Well, they tapered. And they did this starting in January of 2014. And by October of 2014, the same year, 10 months later, they were done buying U.S. bonds. They were done with the, the QE. It ended. Why? Well, the economy was showing much better signs of growth, getting back on its feet. And what have you. Um, I was actually watching something recently. Um, it was like a 10-year recap of what we've what the Fed has learned about this whole situation, how they played it. And they said if they were gonna go back, they would actually do the same thing, which I thought was really, really interesting. They thought um, the only difference they would make going back and taking a quicker uh, answer, a quicker move on on the situation. I see what they're saying. It's kind of difficult, though. I mean, of course, it's much easier to say now. Everything's 2020 in hindsight, but uh, that was one of the things. And they said they actually probably wouldn't have bought the the mortgages. They would have just stuck to bonds. Funny thing is that today they're actually talking. Some some officials are talking about uh, they should have also mixed that up with buying equities and like the S and P 500 and stuff, which is also an interesting thing we can have a discussion about, you know, in another episode. 
but I thought that was also very interesting. Um, so that is pretty much the open market operations in in summation. Uh, the QE and everything that we've seen from the United States, and you're seeing it globally too even now, um, is expansionary monetary policy. The central bank is doing their job uh, to the best of their ability to get the economy going, get inflation to a healthy level, which most countries will say is around 3%, 2-3%, but it depends. Merge markets is a little different of a story, but um, that's their goal. Everyone, Every country has their certain goals, depending on where they are at with, with the country's GDP and employment numbers and what have you. Um, but let's move on to the second tool. The second tool in monetary policy is the reserve requirement. Okay, this is the... The amount a bank needs to keep in cash in their vaults or with the uh, their central bank. Okay, um, now I want to use China to explain this a little bit because they just recently made news about their reserve requirements. What was the news? Well, they lowered their reserve requirement for the fourth time this year. Okay, Cube, what the hell does that mean? Well, that means that they are telling banks, listen, you don't have to have all of, uh, you know that, that much money with us or in the vaults. You can put it to work. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. So they did that four times this year. Uh, they cut it. It was for, for larger banks um, in China, uh, their rate was 14.5% um, of their deposits had to be uh, sitting in cash in the vaults. And for smaller banks, it was 12.5%. But now that they lowered it for the fourth time, they lowered it this time by 100 basis points, which is 1%. So now the new rate is 13.5% for big banks and 11.5% for small banks. So how does this compare to where the U.S. is at right now? The U.S. is a little interesting, and actually it's lower. The U.S. right now for big banks, and a big bank uh, would would be, in, in this case, uh, a, com- a company or a bank with at least $122.3 million in deposits. If you have over that number, you have to have at least 10% um, in cash, in vaults, or with the Federal Reserve. If you have between $16 million and $122.3 million in deposits, it's only 3%. And if you have less than $16 million in deposits, there is no reserve requirement. So, uh, I know we wrote in the Cube Letter a lot about how China dropped theirs for the fourth time this year. Um, but yeah, it's still above where the United States is at, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, so that that's reserve requirements. And the whole reason behind this is that the the central bank wants, their, wants the commercial banks to uh, pretty much put their money to use. Um, but you have to find the right balance because you do need liquidity and you do need to make sure you know, that uh, if people do, you know, go to the ATM, uh, that there's money there for them. So uh, that that's the second tool of monetary policy. That's the reserve requirement. Then you have the third one, which is the discount rate. This discount rate is pretty much what uh, the Fed in the United States uh, example charges banks to lend to them. Okay, this is not the uh, the Fed funds rate. The Fed funds rate is what banks lend to each other. The discount rate is what the Fed charges commercial banks to to lend them money. Okay, and I, I think it, it needs to be uh, also noted 
that the um, the Fed Reserve Board, okay, the Reserve Board of Governors, they control this rate, while the Federal Open Market Committee dictates the Fed funds rate through the open market purchases that we were talking about, the first tool. Okay, the FOMC, the Federal Open Market Committee. I'm trying to break this down as slow as I can. I'm throwing around different things. So I just spoke with the Fed, the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. They control, they 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 say what the discount rate is going to be. The discount rate, for the most part, is more than the Fed funds rate. And the Fed funds rate is the rate that we see. Oh, breaking news, Fed hikes rates. They're not talking about the discount rate there. They're talking about the Fed funds rate. The Fed funds rate is what banks, the cost of which banks lend to each other. The discount rate is what the banks, what the cost is for banks to borrow from the Fed. And that rate's usually higher. At this moment in time, the discount rate is 2.75%. The Fed funds rate is 2 to 2.5%. It's, it's lower. And they say that if a bank needs to borrow from the Fed, they're usually in trouble. So that's that's that. And and the way the I just mentioned about I'll say it again just so nothing gets lost, and you don't have to re- rewind this a hundred times. The FOMC, the Federal Open Market Committee, controls the Fed funds rate through the first tool I mentioned, the open market operations, because all these rates are intertwined. Today's environment is rates are going up. They've been going up. The Fed has already hiked three times by a quarter point in the Fed funds rate this year. And word is that they're going to hike for a fourth time in December. And then some analysts believe there's going to be another two next year. But we'll see. A lot can change in the macroeconomic environment. But for now, it does look like December is going to be a fourth hike. Um, but we will see how, and the, the Fed is watching closely, what the GDP numbers are going to look like for the remainder of the year, and so on and so forth. And now let's touch on the fourth uh, tool, which is the interest on the reserves. This one's you know pretty straightforward. It's pretty much what banks will make on their money that's kept in the vaults with the Fed the Federal Reserve. If you increase this rate, it's contractionary monetary policy. Why? Because there's an incentive for the banks to keep their money with the Fed and not put it to use because they want to make more on the interest. They want to make more money with their with their with their money. If it was expansionary monetary policy, you would see the Fed drop the rates low. This way there's less of a reason. There's you know it's less attractive for the banks to keep their money there. Now they'll go find somewhere else to put it. So these are the four tools, guys. You have the open market operations, you have the reserve requirements, you have the discount rate, and you have the interest on reserves. So now let's talk about fiscal policy. Fiscal policy, unlike monetary policy, is run by the actual government of the country. So we know that tax rates have come down. The corporate tax rates come down from 35% to 21%. That's fiscal policy. Fiscal policy deals with government spending and taxes. Monetary policy was money supply and interest rates. Fiscal policy is government spending and taxes. 
And a quick example, like I just said, 35% tax rate is now 21% tax rate. That is expansionary fiscal policy. President Trump is hoping that this equates to more spending from companies. You know, um, the, even the tariffs, it's, it, this, this is all, it's all intertwined. And, and both policies um, are pretty much put in place to try and dictate where the economy help help the economy by any means. Uh, we're, but right now we're seeing two different things happening right now. We're seeing monetary policy from the Federal Reserve start to increase rates. It's not as expansionary. It's becoming more of like a middle ground. It's not contractionary by any means, but it is coming to more of a more natural state where the, the, the Fed's now just pushing money into the economy and rates aren't also aren't also sky high. They're they're still relatively low in the grand scheme of things. While the while fiscal policy from the government is pretty much full blown. The government spending is, is rising. You have the, the tax rates are coming down. So you have a lot of a lot of forces at play here. And it is extremely, extremely the whole economy, macroeconomic uh, macro economy, excuse me, is extremely sensitive to all these moves. It might not seem like much, a quarter base, you know, a quarter percentage point, 25 basis points here, or dropping a tax rate there. It guys, it goes a long way. It goes a really long way. And there's really not much to talk about on the fiscal policy side. I mean, you could always dive in, but you could break into government spending specifically on on military and this and education and that stuff, but um, that really is besides the point. Fiscal policy, government spending and taxes, monetary policy, money supply and interest rates. I hope you guys found this podcast really entertaining. I try, it's it's not the most exciting topic, um, and I hope I was able to break it down slow enough and repeat it enough times so that way you guys can grasp it. I know for a lot of uh, our audience that is new to investing, this could be a lot to chew on for now. But if you do have any questions, you know you know where we are, at, guys. We're up at every hour of the night. You can DM us at two o'clock in the morning. We'll respond in two minutes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so feel free to reach out if you do have any other questions. Any we can maybe if you guys come up with enough questions, we can do a follow up podcast on this. And um, I just I hope this helped. I hope you guys like this, Mike. I got the pop filter and everything on it. I feel like the quality is much much better. Please let me know. We're all about providing the absolute best content for you guys. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Take care and we'll catch you on the next one.